Hi, I'm Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And here with us today is Anjali Lai, Senior Analyst at Forrester's Data Insights team, to talk about how societal changes are placing new pressures on brands. Welcome, Anjali. Thank you. So, Anjali, let's ground ourselves in what's happening today. We're in a period of time where opposition is really in play. What I'm opposed to is almost as important as what I'm for. And it's sort of created this sense of deep tribalism, deep tribalism in the political environment, the economic environment, the racial environment, and otherwise. And the theory of the case is that that's now playing itself out in how companies need to engage the consumer and how they engage with the brand. Is that sort of how you see it? Yeah, absolutely. I think the consumer base today is so polarized and that is naturally filtering into how consumers approach brands and make decisions about which companies to do business with, um, which companies to show their support for on social channels versus which to criticize publicly. Um, And this is creating a really a dangerous atmosphere in some sense for brands because it means that companies that have typically refrained from maybe stating their values or have tried to tread neutral ground on a potentially polarizing issue are also being criticized by consumers because consumers are now seeing that silence as a sort of taking a stand in itself. Um, And consumers are demanding that companies expose and establish their values um, and then they're reacting accordingly. And we saw that in the Pepsi commercial that went out and was perceived very quickly as inauthentic to a significant social movement, and they had to pull it. So is that part of what you're talking about, companies trying these, trying to sort of catch on to this theme but maybe not doing it so well? Right. Well, I think that the Pepsi commercial is an interesting one because it also um, illustrates the risk of what happens when a brand tries to take a stand and establish company values but is not authentic or doesn't listen to really what is going on from the consumer's side or what consumers need, even from an emotional standpoint, and comes off ultimately as being tone deaf. So Pepsi probably had the right intentions, right? We know they were going for um, telling the story around how the brand is um, appealing to the younger generations and is uh, supporting these sort of social activist movements, um, but uh, doesn't align with the tone that Mm. consumers are taking and inadvertently comes off as being inauthentic. And that's a risk that brands run when they do try to put a stake in the ground on their values. So is this a comment about a younger generation? Is this millennials being millennials? So I don't think it is. Um, And in fact, I think that this assumption that you know, millennials are the ones that are um, pioneering this sort of social activism and are really the only ones or the most vocal ones Mm. um, commenting on brands' uh, values and and acting and reacting to those, um, I think is a little bit of a a myth that that needs busting. Bust Um, away. (laughs) um, The the data actually proves that um, 52 percent, so over half of U.S. online adults consumers – factor company values into their purchase choices, and that's across product category. Um, And while uh, the data skews a little bit younger, so about 65% of consumers age 18 to 24 um, consider company values uh, in their purchase decisions, um, the data also shows that this concept applies across generations. So for example, you know, about four in 10 uh, consumers who are older than age 50 also mm. consider company values when making a purchase. 
Um, and so the likelihood that a consumer will be affected by um, the uh, news exposing brands' values and um, the initiatives of companies to put a stake in the ground on their values and really commit to that cause and convey that cause across the organization um, is not uh, limited to a particular generation, and it's not only in order to win a particular generation. I think consumers are influenced by this information um, equally across the board. And that follows the, that follows the research you did on power customers that said when you looked at it from the standpoint of generation as well as purchasing power, what you find was those that were feeling more empowered and acting that way, meaning willing to switch spend very quickly upon a poor experience, really just taking control of their relationship with the different um, providers, Mm -hmm. that we found it wasn't the millennials, it was actually those with significant purchasing power. I mean, those that could really dent the P&L. Right, exactly. And what that means and what that proves is that empowerment um, is really a function of mindset and motivation and emotion um, more than demographics or life stage. And I think it's a similar case here um, in the context of the um, impact of company values on purchase decisions. Consumers are really motivated by um, emotional drives at the end of the day and um, a brand aligning its uh, company values to the consumer is a way to sort of play on that Mm -hmm. and pull the right emotional levers to draw consumers into the brand experience. So we have an empowered customer that is now expecting brands to operate in a social plane that they're on. And I'll start with some examples that were sort of dangerous. We went through Pepsi, but we also saw New Balance. We saw L.L. Bean being hit by their perceived alignment to a political campaign Mm -hmm. that caught instant and sort of disproportional response. Right. So this is something that can hit quite quickly and cause not just a PR storm, but I'm I'm assuming that there's a follow-on knock-on to the revenue stream. Yep, absolutely. And that proves um, two things. One is that whether a brand thinks of itself as being neutral or not, the consumer will um, force a company to take a stand on its values, right, and expose its values um, and turn these – once widely loved, you know, universally used brands into polarizing political and social symbols. Um, But it also uh, proves that consumers don't forget easily. And I think that's another sort of myth or, you know, that needs busting or or misconception um, that consumers forget what companies do and very easily and quickly move on. And um, there is no effect on the company's bottom line. But I think that what we're seeing is that consumers are actually following through on these emotional reactions and taking action. Um, and So it's not empty threats, right? They're not just taking right. to social media to take to social media. Exactly. It really affects them and then therefore their actions. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And in the, the following the axiom of you're either with me or you're against me, being neutral is being against me. I mean, that's part of the problem of not taking a stand and sort of playing it safe is that it could be perceived as the opposition party in a tribalistic kind of society we're in right now. Exactly. And that's a relatively new threat that brands are facing. Um, And consumers say, you know, um, individuals in our Consumer Voices market research online community say um, that, you know, if you are uh, neutral, um, you are basically taking a stand. And in fact, there is no such thing as being neutral anymore. You know, the days of being neutral are over. Um, and along those lines, consumers are also sta- saying that brands have to stand for something, mm-hmm. right? And maybe the whole notions of what is good and what is bad need to be questioned. But regardless of what that means, brands have to take a stand. And I think that ties back to your examples that you mentioned of um, LLB and New Balance as well is um, that, you know, media might 
convey one side of the story more than the other. But what we're finding when you really dig into the news is that brands that actually um, put a stake in the ground inevitably um, spark both a positive and a negative reaction. So Anjali, can you maybe touch on the the Chick-fil-A example, which is sort of connected to what you were just saying, right? That there was both a positive and a negative response from consumers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, you might remember a few years ago, uh, the management of the fast food brand Chick-fil-A made some comments criticizing same-sex marriage, and it sparked enormous um, backlash, right, on social media, um, but also in the physical world, right? Consumers were rioting here in Boston, um, New York, really across the Northeast and other major cities. Um, but what our media didn't necessarily cover is that um, while the comments sparked such negative sentiment in parts of the U.S., they also helped the company actually break sales records, um, especially in the South when the governor of Arkansas held a Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day. Um, and so that is an illustration of the fact that, you know, the the management made a very conscious business decision, um, which ended up um, allowing consumers to feel more attached to the brand mm-hmm. and to go back to your example of tribalization, um, form a tribe around the brand and actually stand up and support it. And it made an enormous impact on the company's business success. Yeah, there's a brand concept out there that says one way to sort of capture your full addressable market is to understand which tribe is actually your client base and go after the other tribe and actually start creating the polarization yourself and actually almost being caustic in your brands, which is a very significant sea change from being sort of just a value-based or sort of a generic neutral brand on the social issues. Is Mm -hmm. that sort of what we're seeing now is brands actually taking a position to create a little bit of a caustic friction? I think they are. Um, And I think, again, um, a lot of it is because consumers are demanding this, right? And consumers are making decisions based on those qualities. And and decision-making has changed in that sense that company values are playing a more overt and influential role in the customer's purchase choice. And I think as a result, brands have to um, take a stand in order to stay relevant. Are certain industries more affected by this kind of behavior, consumer behavior? Yeah. So what's interesting is that the data shows that across the board, um, company values are playing into consumer purchase decisions uh, more and more each year. Mm -hmm. And that's the case across product categories, so across industry. But what we've seen, some sort of interesting nuance within that data shows that um, company values are playing an increasingly influential role in the financial services uh, and financial products Mm. category. So um, as of, you know, Q1 2017, 25% of U.S. online adults say they evaluate company values before making a a decision about partnering with a certain financial services provider. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's actually the highest across all categories that we've surveyed. That's followed by uh, insurance, um, which is a similar sort Mm. of um, decision-making process, I think. Um, But then other categories where values tend to play into decision-making include um, clothing and accessories uh, and household products, so like cleaning detergents and things like that, um, as well as food and grocery, right, sort of for obvious reasons. I think yep. when you are working with these very personal um, products and when you're, for example, a mother buying these items for your family, um, we know that you know um, moms tend to consider company values more heavily, especially when it comes to this type of product purchase. But Another thing to consider is that when it comes to an industry like travel, for example, only 18% of consumers say they actually factor company values into their 
travel research and booking behaviors. And consumers have told us that even if they are passionate about a certain cause or a certain issue, the fact that they're traveling means they're already sort of not doing anything good for the environment, Mm. right? And so at that point, values become maybe a nice to have or maybe a differentiator, whereas in other categories like financial services, clothing, food, or household products, they are really important and one of the first characteristics that consumers are considering. Mm. So you mentioned travel and there's a recent United experience, which they try to euphemism of reaccommodating. And I'm sure what's going to happen is that's going to be perceived as own point in time, sort of a, a, a bad brand moment, but then taken by some communities. And I think China would be the example where they saw it as a racial, a racially motivated type of thing. So where again, the consumers imagined or interpreted it into a social cause, it might not have started that way. Mm-hmm. That, that, places brands at risk because there's an incident that's part of their normal operational logic now is being poured into some sort of social attack. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what um, that example really shows and what maybe is sort of the most moving part of that example is the um, video that consumers had, right? It's the fact that multiple passengers had their phones out and were taping, you know, or recording this person being dragged off the flight and then sharing that on social media. And that's really what started the the reaction and what started the movement, um, let alone all of the hashtags. Um, and so consumers today have this access, right, an unprecedented level of access to information that was once hidden. And consumers can see um, how staff, employees, even executives are treating their, um, you know, their employees and their colleagues. It creates a level of transparency, if you want to call it transparency. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost voyeurism sometimes yep. um, to brands. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's exactly what the United example shows. Um, the other piece to that too is how United um, issued their apology. Their response. Yeah. Exactly. And um, so they, as you were saying, used words like reaccommodate and were basically taking a very rational and not logical approach to explaining why this is part of their, you know, operational structure. This is what has to happen. Um, But that represents another sort of disconnect where consumers then responded with even more sort of aggression and anger, saying that they felt like the response was inauthentic, was sort of tone deaf, um, and wasn't aligned with the root of the issue, which is really um, speaking to the emotional temperature of the the entire situation. So to your earlier point, we're in dangerous times. These are new waters for brands to swim in. And there's new rules in play and there's a a sense of transparency. And as I said, voyeurism, it's it's a scary time. And so there's a lot of new rules, but there is an existing rule that's almost as scary, which is it's not sufficient to simply stand for something. You have to fulfill that. There has to be some link between the brand promise and experiences that consumers actually feel. Can you give an example how someone stands for something and then delivers that? I love the example of the British retailer Marks and Spencer because um, they not only you know stand for a certain set of values and have a um, series of partnerships where they support local communities and local charities, but they also um, bring the consumer into that experience, right? So they invite consumers to um, join the cause, really, and to act on values that both the brand and the consumers believe in and follow through on these um, issues that people are so passionate about. Mm -hmm. So for instance, um, Marks and Spencer uh, started a program called Spark Something Good, which basically connects consumers to the local charities that the brand supports and facilitates volunteer days. So the program um, encourages consumers and employees to come together and um, pick up a 
paintbrush or a shovel and basically donate time to improving their local communities. Um, but that practice of involving consumers in the cause is part of Marks and Spencer's DNA, really. Mm. So consumers can also purchase certain products and send their um, uh, the profits of that purchase directly to specific local charities. Or um, consumers can uh, bring in old clothes from any retailer, really, and drop them in bins around the store when they're going on their own shopping spree. Marks and Spencer will then take those clothes and redistribute them in developing countries. And I think that um, element of having consumers participate and engage and interact with the brand in this way um, satisfies that deep sort of sense of purpose and allows consumers to follow through on the beliefs they deeply care about. Yeah, in this case, Marks and Spencers is actually part of the tribe. I mean, they're, they're operating within a participant community. They're part of that tribal thing. Yep. So, Anjali, sometimes conversations about brand can be divorced from the P&L but what you're saying here is that it's very much connected, that this behavior is impacting consumer decision making. Yes, exactly. And we see that reflected in the data, both in terms of what consumers are talking about. So even the volume of conversation around company values, for instance, has more than doubled in the past year alone. Mm -hmm. But we also see it in the behavioral data, the fact that consumers are um, consciously considering company values when it comes down to making a purchase and that values are moving from this um, sort of nice to have feature to more of a point of differentiation. Mm -hmm. So are you seeing this as more a business driver or is it just coincidence? Yeah, so I think this is increasingly driving business. And our data shows, for example, that there is a lot to gain when companies put a stake in the ground on their values and take a stand our data shows, for instance, that companies that um, consciously uh, execute and act on their values are far more likely to um, be confident about their future growth, right? So they're seven times as likely to expect to be relevant to consumers in the next five years compared to those who don't consciously act on their values or um, they're four times more likely to expect to see profit growth in the next five years compared to those who don't act on their values as well. Mm. So you're sort of painting a picture of two forks in the road. The first fork says, can I stand for something? And the, the data suggests that you have to stand for something. Neutrality is risk. Exactly. Then the next fork in the road is, well, what do I stand for? Because it has to be tied to my brand. It has to be tied to what I believe to be my addressable market and those consumers and the nature of their spend. This is sort of a dicey world for brands. Could you talk a little bit, what, what does it mean at the end of the day for the brands? Yeah, so this is really transformative um, because it means that consumers are currently and will increasingly define companies by their ethics and their values as perceived by consumers. Um, and they're also defining companies by the ethics and values um, of their partners. And so it has an impact on a brand's entire ecosystem. Um, and of course, that has implications for um, employment conditions, right? Employee experience, even hiring practices and things like that. And as more information becomes available um, to consumers, consumers will make choices according to these values. Um, and this whole concept of social sorting will become even more pronounced. Thanks so much for joining us today. Of course. Thanks for having me. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And don't forget to leave us a review. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.